It is um, my privilege and honor to be able to share with you all this morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt Downing, and uh, I, I work with our students as our student pastor and uh, love it. I also work with our uh, family department and um, try and give some leadership there, and uh, I love what I get to do, and I love um, this church. been here for 13 years, and so um, I am blessed, and I'm, I'm blessed that uh, I get to... Uh, I get to speak this morning, and uh, we are, again, we are excited for Pastor Wes and um, for he and for Bethany and for their family. This morning, I want to, uh, talking about babies, I want you to think back to your childhood, and I want you to think back to uh, when you were growing up. I want to, uh, I want to start this morning by sharing with you a little bit about my life. Um, I'm not going to tell you that I was raised in Oklahoma, um, because that, oh wait, I just did, uh, but I uh, I, I don't want you like looking down on me, but um, love, loved my upbringing, loved the state of Oklahoma, loved Texas as well. Um, but I uh, grew up in Oklahoma in a Christian home uh, with godly parents and um, who did an amazing job uh, at um, being an example to me and uh, loving me um, through my weird, awkward years, which were pretty much all of them. Um, but I... I want to tell you a little bit about my, my dad this morning. This is a picture of me and my dad, and um, it's me as a, as a baby. It's still got the same goofy uh, grin, um, but that's uh, me and my dad behind me there. And um, my dad, uh, growing up, I was told a lot that I looked like my dad. And um, I was told that I sounded like my dad whenever I would answer the phone. Now, of course, when i uh, got to be a teenager, that was a compliment because my voice was changing, and I was like, yes, I sound like a guy, um, right? And so I, I'm, I'm able to, to answer the phone, and, and, uh, and that's good. But people are like, you, you sound like your dad, you look like your dad. And um, back as a teenager, um, it was hard to take that, uh, the, the looking like my dad, as a compliment. I mean, handsome man, but as a teenager, you don't necessarily want to be told that you look like your middle-aged dad, right? Like you want, you want to look like, let's say, Tom Cruise or, or something, you know? I mean, you want, to, you, you, want to, you, you want to have that image, but you're told that you look like your dad, and you're like, I, thanks, I think. Um, but uh, my, my dad was incredible. Um, my dad uh, went to be with the Lord about 11 years ago, um, but um, always an incredible example to me. And um, my dad actually wanted to uh, go into ministry, and he was for a while. And uh, he also um, was a music minister, but an organist. Um, but health issues kept him from being able to pursue that dream. And um, he would always tell me that uh, I was his vicarious replacement. And uh, that, was, uh, that was such an honor. And um, the, the older I get, and the more I think about my dad and being told that I look like my dad. It's, it's an honor now, where it may not have been as a teenager, but it's an honor and it's, it's a privilege. What's interesting is that I, um, as I look in the mirror, um, there are mannerisms and there are things that I will do and say, and even as I talk, and I'm like, whoa, that's my dad. <laughs> my, I hear my dad saying those same things. I, hear, I see my dad doing those same mannerisms. Uh, I, I really do mirror my dad. I really do uh, reflect my dad. And um, 
This morning what I want us to do is uh, I want us to um, talk about what it means to mirror our father. Now my dad, uh, obviously I'm going to look like him and sound like him because I have his DNA inside of me. But as believers, as God's kids, um, we are supposed to resemble our heavenly father. Now I resemble my dad, I I, I will admit that, Um, but again, it's because his DNA lives inside of me. But for us as believers, we are to mirror our heavenly father because we have his DNA living in us. We have his Holy Spirit living in us, helping helping us to reflect who he is to a world that needs to see it. Now we uh, may or may not always do a great job of mirroring and reflecting our father, but that's what we're called to do. So this morning, before we get too deep into this, I want us to take a step back um, because I want us to to separate what makes us different from um, humanity. Now let's, let's talk about all of humanity because all of humanity has been made in the image of God. Genesis uh, 1, 26 and 27 tells us that when God, when God created, he created a male and female and created us in his image. So all mankind is created in God's image to be relational beings. And all mankind has also been given um, a sense of eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that he has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so every human being on this planet uh, is made in the image of God. Every human being on this planet um, has a, a concept of eternity. Uh, later on in life, they may, they may reject that, but we've been given this, this, uh, this innate sense in us that there's something more to this life, right? And lastly, we've all been given a conscience. We've all been given a conscience. We, uh, through the conscience, God has built into each and every one of us the ability to know right from wrong, evil from good. He's given all of us a conscience to be able to know that some things just are right and some things just are wrong. All of us have that. Now, you may ask the question, well, why then does it seem like there are so many that don't have a conscience? right? Like they they have no ability to be able to determine right from wrong. Well, I want to share a passage with you uh, this morning in Romans chapter 2. We're going to be going several different places this morning. We're going to be talking about the the attributes of God that are reflected in our life. But before we get there, let's look at why um, as humans, we don't always follow what God has given to us. So in Romans 2, 14 through 15, Paul is telling the church in Rome, he says, so when Gentiles... And when he's saying Gentiles here, he is a Jew, and he's, he's talking to those who uh, are Jews, but he's also talking about those who, uh, who aren't Jewish, and they all get lumped into the Gentile uh, category, which would be us as well. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law, remember God gave the law to the Jewish people, but Paul is saying Gentiles who do not by nature have the law, when they do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So they don't have the law, but the law has been, uh, has been written on their hearts to their conscience. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or excuse them. So the Lord has placed the knowledge of himself within the heart of each human being. He's given all of us the, the, the sense that uh, we're meant for more than just this life, but he's also given us the ability to know 
right from wrong. Humanity knows intuitively the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, because someone greater than them has put it there. So, again, what happens? Like, how are people able to do things that you would say, it just seems so obvious that that's right and wrong. So what's happened here? Uh, I want to show you uh, in, in 1 Timothy, again, these are the words of Paul, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. And Paul says this, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, in later days, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. And your translation may have as seared with a hot iron. So what has happened as, as we have been given a conscience, people will uh, they'll, they'll begin to listen to teachers. They'll begin to, to look towards different teachings, which over time, the enemy uses those things to cause their conscience to be seared or to be dulled. And that's why we have everyone who has a conscience, that we have people who act like they may not have a conscience. They have been given a conscience, but it's become so dulled or become so seared that they refuse to do the right thing. Or they bought into a teaching from someone who's convinced them that that's not the right thing. This is the right thing. And that's why we have in our world uh, a, an upside down world where wrong is called right and right is called wrong. We wonder, how does that happen? Again, the enemy uses false teaching. And we see that there. And it's explicitly in the later days, the latter days, the enemy is going to rise up false teachings, uh, false doctrines, and people are going to listen to those things and follow them. Almost to the point where the lie seems like the truth, and those who stand up for the truth seem like hateful liars. And that is what we see happening in our world today. But as the children of God, and when I say children of God, uh, some people will say, well, everyone's a child of God. No, everyone's a creation of God, but not everyone is a child of God. We only become a child of God when we enter into a relationship with God, when we, we acknowledge our, our sin and our need for him and invite him to come and to not just take residence in our life, but to rule and reign as our Lord and Savior. And so we, we acknowledge our sin and we say, Lord, I, I, I need you, I, I want you, and I want you to come and to live inside of me, and I want you to take control of my life. So as Christians, we take the next step, whereas humanity will say, okay, I, you know, I've got a sense of eternity, um, conscience, but we realize that we need more. We realize that there's a God who made us, there's a God who loves us, there is a God who wants a relationship with us, and we need him in our life. And so we invite him to come and to take residence. So Christians, because of the Holy Spirit in us, when we invite Jesus into our lives, when we invite the Holy Spirit to come and to take over, we are given attributes that reflect our dad, that reflect our heavenly father. And this morning, I want us to talk through six of them. And don't worry, this isn't going to be a, a long six-point sermon, but I want you to be able to see these things in Scripture because I think it'll help us to have a handle on just who we are. So first of all, uh, this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to write some things down. As believers, we reflect God's holiness and glory. So over here, you see I have this mirror, and I've angled it. Chad told me to angle it just right so that it's not shining in your face, uh, or you're not having to look at yourself the whole time. 
But I'm going to write this on this mirror, holiness and glory. Because of God's Holy Spirit, we reflect his holiness and glory. The passage I shared with you at the beginning of this service, Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. To be holy means to be set apart, means to be sacred, um, totally other. In, in um, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, he says this, God is holy, 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 not just holy. He is totally and completely other and sacred from everything else. We cannot even imagine it. Wow. First Samuel 2, 2, we see that there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. And so we see a picture of God's holiness, how there is no one, no thing that is like God. He is set apart. Jesus, when Jesus came to, to earth, um, he, as being God's son, he also was holy, completely sinless, perfect, but even the demons acknowledged him as the holy one of God. As, after Jesus dies and, and Peter is talking about what happened to Jesus in his crucifixion, he says, you have denied the holy one, and he called him the prince of life. And then in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, uh, it says this, it says, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is our permanent priest who saves us. He intercedes for us. So we have God who is holy. We have Jesus who is holy. But because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we are holy. Now I know that you may stop and go, wait, what? Holy? No, I'm, I'm not holy. I'm far from it. And you're right, we are. We are far from holy in our performance. But we've been made holy in our position. As a child of God, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, because of what Christ did, because of of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, Scripture tells us that we've been made saints. We've been made holy. And you may scratch your head and say, no, I'm, I'm far from that. But again, there's a difference in being holy in our position and holy in our performance. We have been made holy positionally. We are able to be in heaven, a perfect place with a perfect God, not because of our righteousness. Pastor Wes uh, delved into this last week. He spent most of the sermon talking about how our deeds are like filthy rags. There is no chance that we have to be before a holy God, but because of what Jesus, the Holy One, did, because he resides in us, because of his sacrifice, we have also been made holy. So then what do we do with that when we don't feel holy? I want to share uh, Peter's challenge to Christians who are dealing with persecution. In 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16, he says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. You've been made holy, but you need to act holy as well. For it is written, it's from Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. So we're set apart 
because of what Jesus did. Again, not because of our, of our deeds, not because of our performance, but we've been made holy because of what Christ did for us. So because of that, we are to reflect God's holiness. That means, as that verse tells us, that passage tells us that we, we need to seek to do the things that God wants us to do to not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance and the things of the world, but to be holy because the one who made us is holy and the one who lives in us is holy. Positionally, we're holy. Performance, we may not be, but we seek in our performance to reflect a holy God that lives in us. And when we do that, something happens. We show off God's glory. So holiness and glory. Let's talk about that. Glory means great admiration, honor, and praise given to God. Great beauty or something special or extremely beautiful that gives great pleasure. When God made creation, God made, made all things beautiful, right? He, he looked and said, it is good. Now there was something different in what God did when he created humans. With everything we see in creation, God spoke into existence and he said, it is good. But with humans, he does something different. He actually, metaphorically here, gets his hands dirty, right? From the dust of the earth, he creates man. And he creates man and, uh, and woman and he creates them to be in a relationship with him. The idea is that as humans, because we are, we are different from all of creation. We're the, only, we're the only part of creation. We talked about those things earlier. We've only, the only part of creation is to be given a conscience or the ability to see eternity, to think about eternity. No other animal has that. But yet humans have been made differently because we've been made in God's image. No other thing that God has made has that, uh, that title fixed upon it. We are the ones that have been made in God's image, and because of that, we reflect his glory. Now, the problem is that in our lives, we want glory for ourselves. We want people to look at us. We want people to notice us. We want people to approve of us. And Scripture tells us that we are to seek God's glory. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, you're probably familiar with this verse that um, in all things, whether you eat or drink, and, and in this, Paul is, has just spent um, some time talking about uh, idols and, and foods offered to idols and, and uh, Christian liberty and, and what do I have the freedom to do? But he ends by saying, in all things, whether you eat or drink, do all things for the glory of God. So we are to seek to glorify God in everything we do. Be careful not to cause anyone to stumble. So in our lives, if God's holiness lives in us and God's glory should be made evident in how we live, then we think to ourselves, okay, so in my life and the things that I want glory for, I want approval for, I want, I want people to applaud me for, I need to take a step back and say, wait a second, is that even, the, is that even what I should be hoping for? We're to give God glory and not ourselves. And you can do that doing anything. Let's say you're a student and you're in a class that you can't hate. And, and we know, you guys remember being in school, um, it was always the teacher's fault. It was never our fault, right? It was always the teacher's fault because they didn't like us, right? And so we, uh, we didn't want to be in that class, but yet we're in that class. We have to, we have to do what the teachers want us to do. Um, 
What if you flip that and said, you know, rather than complain all the time, maybe I stop and say, okay, how can I give God glory even in the things that I may not, may not want to do? In your job, how can you give glory to God in the, 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 the trivial work that you may have to do? Let's say you're, you're in customer service. Let's say you're um, even in food service and you come upon customers who may not appreciate you, right? They're not giving you any glory because they're, they're on a timetable and they're annoyed with you. You can still give God glory in how you reflect him and how you treat them, doing your very best to do what you do, not for their approval, but for God's glory, to glorify God in all that you do. So we are called to reflect God's holiness and God's glory in our lives. But let's move on to something else here. We're also called to reflect God's sense of justice and compassion. We reflect God's sense of justice and compassion. Let me ask you something. When you look at the world right now, when you look at all that's happening and all that's happening in Israel, is there something in you that says, this is not right? This is not how it should be. People should not treat each other this way. Can I tell you what that is? Is that, yes, that's your conscience, right? But also there's something deeper there. Because within you, because the Holy Spirit lives in you as a believer, you have been given God's sense of justice to be able to see that there are some things that are just and right and there are some things that are unjust and wrong. Regardless of what the historical background may be or what a person looks like, it's because we have God's sense of justice living in us. Let me just share with you a, a couple of passages of scripture that talk about God's sense of justice and I love this. In Deuteronomy 32, three through four, for I will proclaim the Lord's name, declare the greatness of our God, the rock, his work is perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God without bias, he is righteous and true. Psalm eleven seven: the Lord is righteous, he loves justice. He isn't just a just God, he loves justice. And you say, well, then, then why are there so many unjust things in the world that happen? It's, it's not because of God. It's because of us as humans with seared consciences doing the things that we think are right and making a mess of things. But as believers, God says, no, that, that, that's not enough for you. You're, it's not enough to be human. I want to make you holy. I want, to, I want my glory to be seen in you, but I also want you to live justly. Micah 6, 8, we're told, uh, mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what is it that the Lord requires of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. To not just walk with a sense of justice and to seek justice, but also compassion. Not just doing what you do because it's the right thing to do, but doing what you do because you actually care. And that's Jesus' whole purpose in, in coming and, and living on this earth to save us from our sin. He had compassion on the masses. In fact, we're told that in Scripture, that he, he looked up on the crowd and he had compassion. And so he steps in and he heals. He steps in and, and he restores. He, he heals not just physically, but he heals spiritually. 
And yet, now that we have the Holy Spirit living in us and Jesus is no longer physically on this earth, that mission continues with us. We've talked about this before, the great commission where Jesus says, I'm sending you out into the world and I want you to reflect me. I want you to reflect my holiness, my gloriness, but I also want you to reflect my justice. I want you to seek to make right the things that the world has made wrong. And that list is long. We know that there is so much injustice in our world. And when we see it, sometimes our first response is to just say, I don't want to see this anymore, right? We turn off the TV or we don't want to, we don't want to think about it. We want to go back to, to our life. But God tells us, I, I want you to be my representatives. I want you to reflect me. And if, if you aren't going to be a part of the solution, then who will be? Throughout history, we have seen Christians uh, rise to that call. We've seen Christians that have, that have gone as missionaries. We've seen Christians who have, um, who have helped found orphanages, who see the injustice in the world and say, it's not just enough to see it, but I want to do something about it. And I want to do something about it because I have God's spirit living in me and I have compassion on these people. I want to help. And if you've felt that way just in, in the last week or so, again, seeing, seeing what's going on in Israel, if, you've, if you have that sense that I, I, I care, I want to I help, that's a good sign in that, that, that God's justice and compassion lives in you. And so we also have an incredible opportunity coming up with Operation Christmas Child, as we've talked to you guys about this, where, where there are children all over the world who um, are living in poverty, who, who won't experience what we experience at Christmas. And so this, this opportunity for a child to get one box their whole life, one box given by us, God's people, to be able to let them know that they are loved. God's people saying, I see the need and I want to respond to it. I have compassion on, on those children and their families and I want to help. So we reflect God's justice and God's compassion. Write those up here. And lastly, I want us to talk today about how we reflect God's sense of relationship and unity. The fact that um, God has made us to be in a relationship with him. We don't have to dig too deep on this one because um, you and I would not even be here if we didn't have a God who wanted to have a relationship with us. A God who created us for relation, but then when we broke that relationship as, as humans, God took the next step and said, all right, I am going to redeem you and bring you back to me. Of all creation, it was only humans that he got his hands dirty for, then breathed the breath of life into. You think about Jesus coming from heaven, from his rule and reign in heaven to come to this earth and to be amongst his people so that we could see, lived out what God looks like, to have a relationship with God. And so what Jesus did in his 30 years of life, we, we, specific, we, we focus specifically on the last three years, the fact that God's plan A was to invest in 12 men and to be in a relationship with them, to, to, for them to live, um, live together, to experience life together. He called them and they followed him. And after three years of being in a relationship with God, that being God's design and God's purpose, 
to help them to see what they were to be as God's followers, to have compassion and, and to, to seek the justice of people, but, but also to, to see how Jesus healed and to say, wow, this, this is God. And for Peter to respond, you are the Messiah. Jesus says, who, who do people say I am? And they, they answer with different names, but Jesus, Peter says, you are the Messiah when Jesus says, what do you say? So we reflect God's sense of relationship and unity. I want to share one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and this is uh, in John 17. And this is the last night of Jesus' life. Again, he has invested the last three years of his life into these men, and now he's going to his crucifixion. He knows it's coming. And uh, last week we celebrated the, the Lord's Supper. He is, he is having this Passover meal with the disciples on his last night, and he's, he's told them what we, you know, we talked about last week, the, the fact that um, this bread would represent his flesh and, and uh, the, the fruit of the vine would represent his blood. But here, Jesus prays for his disciples. That's actually in the, the preceding verses to this one. But in John 17, 20 through 23, this is what Jesus says. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. Jesus is praying for future believers who will follow the teachings that he's given through his disciples, and then they will teach others. And, and throughout the years, there will be people that, that look to God and follow God because of what the disciples did. And so Jesus says this, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you've given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Do you see that? Jesus' prayer, as he prays for future believers, is that they would be one. That they would be one, that they, not that they would all be um, identical, but that they would, in their differences, that they would come together, despite the differences, and that they would be united and be one. And that's, that's the role that we have as a church. Well, what's the purpose of that? Well, Jesus says that several times in, in that passage. Again, we'll go back and put that up on the screen if we could. He said, um, a couple times in there, he says, so that the world may believe, that the world may know who I am. May the, that the world may know that, Father, you have loved me. So why why be in a relationship with Jesus and, and what is it that he's, he's wanting to do? What, why are we to reflect these things? It's so that the world may know that Jesus is the one and only Savior. So that the world would see in us the Holy Spirit living in us, to see the fruit of the Spirit played out in our lives and to say there is something different about this person, they, they, they go to church, they follow God, but there's something different about them. It's the Holy Spirit living in us. He desires that we would be one. In a, the last passage I want to share with you this morning, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, and we've been, we've been digging into this on Wednesday nights the last couple of weeks with our students. Um, 
Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, these are the gifts Christ has given to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity, here we go again, being one, being united in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So when Jesus leaves this earth, he knows what's going to happen next. He knows that as he has prayed for the believers, the believers are supposed to come together and we see the early church being planted and throughout the years, throughout the generations, the plan is still the same, that the world would see the church and that the world would know. And the world will know as the church is united, and as the church is one. So do you see how if that's God's desire, then the enemy will do everything he can to cause division. Jesus wants us to be one, but Satan wants us to be divided. And so that's why we have to work to be one. And it does take work. It does take work when you are in a church of, of people who uh, we all have different strengths. We all have different weaknesses, right? We, we all um, are put together in this place for a set purpose. And I want to tell you this, that if, if, you, uh, if you typically just, the, the, the service is the, the thing that you do for church each week, um, you come each week to service, that is awesome, that is great. But can I tell you, there is so much more for you. If you feel disconnected um, or not really feel like a part of the church because you come and you just come to service, man, there's a whole nother side to this where at 9.30 we get together in groups and, and we talk about life and we do life together. And if you're not a part of a, a grow group, let me challenge you to find one. If you're not a part of a class, let me challenge you to find one so that you can do life with people and so that we can come together and realize that we need each other. But sometimes we, we feel like, okay, I come to a service for an hour in the morning, I've gone to church. Yes, you've sat through a service, but to really experience all that God has in the church, it means that you're going to have to be relational. You can't just sit in, sit in a pew and face forward. It's about coming together with the body of Christ because we need you. And when you're not here, we miss out on you. And guess what? You need us too. You need the body of Christ to help encourage you how to live and how to, how to be these things that we've talked about. How to be holy, how to reflect God's glory, how to be just, how to be compassionate, how to be relational, and how to have unity. So I write this on the mirror because mirrors are a good way for us to um, look and to see what might need some adjusting right? Um, a mirror is good to have when you may have uh, broccoli in your teeth, right? A mirror is good to have when um, you, came, you came to church, hair all in place, but then you got out in the wind 
and the wind gave you a comb over, right? And, and you're walking around thinking, okay, I've done my hair, but wait a second. You stop by a mirror and you were like, oh, wait, I need help. That's what mirrors are good for. They, they help us to see what needs to be improved on, what needs to change, what may need to be adjusted. What if this week you allowed God's mirror as you look at these, these six characteristics, maybe one for each day of the week, I don't know, but you look at the mirror and say, God, would you help me to reflect your holiness today? God, would you help me to reflect your glory today? Would you, may I not seek my own glory, but may I seek yours? God, would you help me this week to be just, to see the, the things that are unjust and to not just be satisfied with seeing them and shaking my head, but saying, what can I do to be a part of the solution? God, would you help me to be more compassionate this week? God, I've, I've, not, been, I've not been very kind or patient God, would you help me to be more relational? It's, it's tempting to want to just cocoon myself and do my own thing, but God, you created us for relation, and we need relations with, within the church. We need relationships within the church to be able to do what God has called us to do. And God, would you help me to seek unity? Would you help me to not look to try and, and cause division through gossip or through preferences, but what can I do to, to be one with my brothers and sisters in Christ? rather than, than looking to say, well, you know, I don't like this or that, so I'm going elsewhere. But to stop and say, wait a second, is that even what matters? You know, a lot of times we are, we are quick to, um, to blame other people or to blame other circumstances when really we haven't just stopped to see, okay, am, is there things that need to happen in me? Are there things that need to change in me? This week, I want to challenge you to remember that you are a reflection of your father. You are to reflect your dad. Now that's impossible for a, a human to do, but we haven't just been called to be human. We've been given God's spirit that lives in us. We've been given the holy one that lives in us, the, the glorious one that lives in us. We've been given the one who is righteous and just and compassionate who's relational, who seeks oneness. He lives in us. And every day, it's a matter of saying, God, I need you today. Holy Spirit, would you fill me today? Yes, you live in me, but would you fill me afresh today? Because if, I, if I'm left to my own devices, God, I will, I will not be a good reflection of you. May we reflect our Father this week in our words, in our actions. Let me ask if you would pray with me. And um, as we pray, I, I just want to encourage you. You may be a believer who, you've been a believer for a long time, but maybe this morning, as we've looked at these six characteristics, maybe you realize that um, I'm, not, I'm not doing one of these things, or I'm not doing very well in all of these things. This morning, as we've seen God's mirror, allowing us to be reminded that we need help. We don't just need help. We need the Holy Spirit living in us. And some of you may be in here and you may have never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you, you come to church, but you don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that um, you are God's creation, but you're not yet God's child. 
And heaven, a perfect place, is only for those who have placed their faith in the perfect one, who have given the perfect one control of their lives, who have invited the perfect one to come and live inside of them, to take residence. He makes us holy. He, he helps us to reflect his glory. He helps us to be just and compassionate, to be one, to be relational. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, what a great morning to do that. What a great morning to allow the mirror to show you that you've never taken that step and that you need to do that. Here in just a moment, the pastors and I will be down front to be able to talk with you through that and take those next steps. Maybe you don't have a church home. And again, as we've talked about, you to really grow in your faith. We all need help. We all need sharpening. We all need accountability. That's, what, that's a huge part of the church and its purpose. So the world may know the one who lives inside of us. We would invite you to come and join this church. Maybe you, you are already a believer, you're already part of this church, but this morning maybe there was just, there was one or several of these things where God just allowed his mirror to help you see that you need help in that area. And that's, that's being human, that we're all, we all fall short and we all have challenges in our life. We all have days where maybe we reflect none of those things. The altar is going to be open and you can come and say, God, help me. Your Holy Spirit lives in me. Would you help me, Lord, to be more mindful of my place in this church? Would you help me to be more mindful of reflecting your glory? Would you help me to be more mindful of reflecting your compassion and your sense of justice? You live inside of me, Lord. May I reflect you well. Let's pray together. Father, in these next few moments, would you show us? Would you hold up your mirror to us and would you show us what we need to do? Whether it's to enter into a relationship with you, whether it's to be a part of this body, or whether it's just to allow you to, to fine-tune some things in our life. We, we know we have these characteristics, these attributes in us, but maybe we have not allowed your spirit to truly lead us in these areas. God, whatever we need to do today, would you show us? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.